0: Okay, I'd like you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Do I get that right? Thank you. We're going to be in verses 19 through 30. Starting with verse 19, the Word of God says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how, as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, And your messenger and minister to my need. For he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because he heard, you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious." So receive him into the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. When I got in a car business, I was working for a dealer down in Vienna, and I got a chance to meet the owner of the dealership several times. He had a chain of... Of dealerships in the area. And the second time I met him, he asked me if I was interested in management. And I wasn't quite sure. I said, yeah, probably. Uh, He said, look, son. (laughs) I like that. He said, look, son, I can show you how to build a kingdom. That's what we're doing here. We're building kingdoms. And I was a newly saved person. And I knew enough to know that there was probably something wrong with that statement. Uh, But i got to be honest with you. (laughs) You know, I'm standing there. There's new cars all over the place. Everybody's dressed up in expensive suits and this whole thing. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of interesting. But I really had to look deep down inside and say, is that what I want? Is that what I want is to build a kingdom? So my question for you this morning is, whose kingdom are you building? Are you even building one? But if you are, whose kingdom are you building? So, you know, Paul's letter to the Philippian church, it's going to be the last time they hear from him. They're not aware of that yet. But they've been faithful supporters in his ministry. They've been encouragers to him. And he wants to leave them with clear instructions on how to carry on after he's gone. And, and not just to carry on, but to begin the hard work of building the first century church. These are the building blocks for the church that we have here today. It's our foundation. Uh, so far, he's emphasized the vital importance of living in Christ, of being thankful in all things, and being willing to suffer for the kingdom of God. Now, we've talked about this. It's not, it's not a popular message we don't like to talk about suffering. We don't like to talk about God's wrath. Uh, but these are all attributes of God and, and elements of our walk that we need to acknowledge because suffering is sometimes going to happen. And so, Paul wants them to understand that they should use their suffering as opportunities to put God on display to the world. I, I like this phrase, to put God on display, because that's what God has asked us to do. He's asked us to walk through a world of darkness and pain and hopelessness and be that ray of light and hope, putting him on display as we're transformed, as we're being conformed to his image, we put him on display. So last week, we heard this valuable lesson in humility, and that's another important ingredient in our daily lives and in the life of the church. We should be humble. Today, we're going to hear the importance of doing the work of the Lord together, together. And we'll see how Paul is looking ahead to ensure that the work of the gospel goes on even if he's not going to be there. See, Paul's not building a name for himself. Watch this because it's pretty effective. He's not building a name for himself. He's working to build the kingdom of God. All of his efforts go towards that. He's doing it for the glory of God. And he's not alone. Now, so, uh, this sermon is called Kingdom Builders. And if, if, you, if you understand exactly what's happening, Paul is working so hard to build the kingdom of God that we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. I've told you before, we are saved to the glory of God. We get caught up in God glorifying himself in our transformation and our salvation. So let's see, we've got two co-workers here in this passage. We've got one who stays in verses 17 through 24, and another one who goes in verses 25 through 30. So let's take a look at the one who stays, and this is Timothy, starting in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. Timothy, to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Now, now Paul's letter so far has been rich in theology. It's been challenging. Uh, He keeps on putting these things in front of us and asking us to absorb it. But Paul does something really great with his writings because he never just throws stuff out there. He always gives us an example. He always gives us a, a practical application of what he's talking about. And so, He's going to do that right here. He's going to give us two examples of how to apply the things that he's been teaching the Philippians in this letter. So in the previous passage, Christ was the example. We saw that very clearly. And Paul's lesson was on humility and treating others as more significant than ourselves. Now, that's a challenge in itself. And here in these passages here, Paul uses the pretext. Of sending emissaries back to the Philippians to show the church how the ministry he's talking about is accomplished and how we do it together. And to teach a lesson or two, it's almost as if Paul is saying, Okay, you heard everything I said, and we put Jesus Christ out there as an example. And I I know that you all understand that, but we also know that we look at Jesus and think, Well, we can't be that. Well, here's two guys that are doing what I'm talking about. Watch what I do here. So Paul's going to send Timothy. But he's not going to do it right away. There's going to be a wait so that Timothy can bring good news back to Paul. He's sending Timothy so that Timothy can go, come, come back with a, a report. Now, keep it in mind the context of the letter, this makes sense. We can see that Paul, wherever he goes, w- whenever he sends this young man, is not just expecting somebody to go, oh, don't worry, everything's okay in Philippi. Paul knows the church has some struggles. Great church, but they've got some struggles. There's some division. Um, they're in a bad environment. It's this, this is Paul's way of saying, I know you're going to work this out in a godly manner. I know you're going to do what I told you to do the way Christians should handle things. I've given you all the tools. Now use them. And I'm confident that when Timothy comes to see you, he will report that you've done things the way Christ would have done them. Really an amazing display of Paul's authority and influence as an apostle. He's setting an expectation among his spiritual children but he's not being domineering or controlling about it. He's saying, okay, I've given you this teaching, you know. I'm going to send Timothy to see how you're doing with it, and I know you'll do well. You're smart people. Paul's laid out the basics of his teaching, and now he says, I'm sending Timothy in a little while in order to give you time to work things out, in order to give you time to apply these things. Then Paul says something amazing about his young protege here. Verse 20, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul wants the Philippians to know that Timothy is everything Paul has been talking about. He embodies all this teaching that I've been giving you. He seeks the welfare of others before his own. And Paul has no one in his immediate circle quite like Timothy. And then he goes on to contrast Timothy with the other people that he's been talking about, the ones who preach the gospel with bad motivations. In verse 20, he says, for they all seek their own interest. He's really not talking about everybody seeking their own interest. He's talking about this particular group that are motivated by, by self-interest, not those of Jesus Christ, he says. Those folks are building their own kingdoms. Now, it, you know, the, the great lesson here is that God's using it anyway, but they're not going to get the blessing of being part of God's kingdom. So they're building their own kingdom, not God's. Verse 22, he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So the Philippians are familiar with Timothy. He was with them when Paul landed in Philippi, came to Macedonia, and even more so familiar with Paul. They know about Paul's suffering. They know about all the trouble he's had. They're worried about him. They relate to Paul because they're suffering too. It's easy to forget in the middle of all this that Philippi has its challenges. You know, we talked about there's some division there. there, There's some tension in the church. uh, But they're in a really hostile environment, and people around them are dying for their faith. Maybe some of the Philippians are dying for their faith, and they're in the middle of this Roman town that is filled with Roman soldiers, retired, but filled with Roman soldiers. They're all influential. They are kind of in the Washington, D.C. of Macedonia. Powerful people, people that know what power is about and how to wield it, and nobody, nobody likes the Christians. The Jews are upset at them for upsetting the apple cart with the Romans. The Romans are upset with him because they worship somebody other than Nero. And let me tell you how bad the situation is. You know, just to give you some context here, Nero is in trouble in Rome. He's about to be in a whole lot more trouble, but people are beginning to turn against him, and he's using force, and he's using torture to tell people, don't stand against me. He's dipping people in oil and using them as candles in his gardens. And the Philippians see this. Maybe some of them have suffered like that. So the Philippians know about Paul's suffering, and they relate to him because they're suffering too. And if they're not suffering now, they may be suffering soon. And they know, they know that Paul and Timothy do everything that they do for the sake of the gospel, for the kingdom of God. They know that these men are servants. And here's a little bit of a (laughs) side. How do they know they're servants? Because they spend time with them. You know, I've talked to you about this before. you got to know who your teachers are. You know, I went to a conference one time, and we, we were newly married, we didn't have any money. And th- there was a talk, there was a collection, and the guy doing the conference had flown in on his private jet, had his entourage with him, wearing a $3,000 suit in 1983, and asking me for money. And I'm saying, I want to give it to him. The fact of the matter is, I didn't know him. I liked what he said, They're great teaching, but we need to know who our teachers are. If we're going to follow them, if we're going to allow them to influence our life, we need to know something about who they are. The Philippians knew who Paul and Timothy was. They spent time with them. They saw how they lived. They were blessed by how they served. And they trusted both of them because they pointed to Christ, not to themselves. And now Paul is recommending Timothy to them. Verse 23, says, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. There's some curiosity here. We're not totally sure exactly what Paul means. There are several possibilities. He may be waiting for his trial. But Paul's not dumb. He's not a stupid man. He can look around him and see what's happening. He knows that they want to kill him just like they killed his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Any trial he may be facing is going to have a foregone conclusion because he knows that Nero's making examples out of Christians, and he's one of the leading proponents of Christianity. Now, maybe he's waiting for a word on his execution. Maybe he's appealed and waiting for the outcome of that appeal. Perhaps he's praying for a miracle, praying to be released, asking God to release him from the prison. And, you know, those are good prayers. that We should be asking God for miracles. We should be asking him to move supernaturally in our lives. They're appropriate. But Paul is not going to forsake the ministry of the gospel while he gets consumed with his own situation. He's not going to allow it to be a distraction. He's going to keep Timothy with him for a while because Timothy is a co-worker, a co-builder, a minister of the gospel. And Paul have a lot in common. They have a common purpose. And Timothy, Timothy's young, maybe Maybe just a little too easy to be intimidated, maybe. That's what's going on. Here's what Paul says about his young disciple in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love and in faith and purity. We assume that Timothy struggled a little bit with people thinking he wasn't really old enough to minister. And it may be Paul wants a little more time with Timothy to teach him. To train him before he sends him into a volatile situation, like the one in Philippi, a dangerous one. But keep in mind, they're a small church, hostile environment. As great as the churches they are, there's danger from without and danger from within. So Paul's going to keep Timothy for a bit, for whatever reason, and Timothy is going to humbly do what Paul asks him to do. He's eager to learn. He's eager to stretch himself and fully committed to doing the work of building the kingdom of God. So, it, as Paul holds on to Timothy for a while, he says, Don't worry, I'm going to send somebody to you, the second co-worker. Uh, this is the one who goes. Timothy is the one who stays. And the one who goes is Epaphroditus. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and a minister to my need. Now, notice while Paul hopes to send Timothy, he finds it necessary to send Epaphroditus. Seems Epaphroditus is the one who's delivering Paul's letter to the Philippians. He's the one he's going to say, take this to them. Look what Paul says to this man. He is Paul's brother. Now, there's a close relationship here. We're all brothers and sisters, amen? But Paul says he's not a brother. He is my brother. There's some intimacy here. He's familiar with him. He's also a fellow worker. He's part of Paul's team. He's worked side by side with Paul for the advancement of the gospel, for the building of the kingdom. He's someone who's traveled and lived with Paul for a while. And Epaphroditus is also called a fellow soldier. He has struggled at Paul's side. He's been engaged in the ministry, suffered with them. And these three attributes that, that Paul uses, brother, fellow worker, and soldier, speak to Aphroditus as being experienced and somewhat seasoned in the ministry. And they also tell us something about what Paul teaches because one of the primary themes is unity in God's children, unity in the church. And Epaphroditus is a shining example of, of what it means to be united. Look, look what's happening. He's, a, he, he is a, he's part of a family, a brother, who works alongside his brothers and his sisters. And he's a soldier, one who guards and protects, one who's willing to sacrifice for those around him. And we get a little bit of a background on him, too, uh, because Paul says you're the, the, that he's the messenger and the minister to his need. Epaphroditus was sent to Paul by the Philippians to find out what was going on and the minister to Paul. In verse 26, Paul says, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So Epaphroditus, number one, misses his church family. They're precious to him. The word for longing here is the same word that Paul uses back in chapter 1, in verse 8, for God is my witness, how I yearn, how I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And it, it, it connotes deep affection. It's somebody that's very precious to Paul. Reveals the unity, sense of closeness Epaphroditus has, not just with Paul, but with his home church. There's a lot going on here. Now, he's had, he's had some health problems. He's had some issues. We don't know what they are. Maybe he's wounded. Maybe he's been sick. And the Philippians have heard about him. And they feel the same closeness to Epaphroditus. And he does, Epaphroditus doesn't want them worrying about him. He wants them to know he's okay. As a matter of fact, Epaphroditus, when he goes back, is going to have a word of testimony for him. We like that, don't we? Word of testimony. Verse 27. Verse 27. Indeed, he was ill, Epaphroditus was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Epaphroditus did struggle. He almost died, but God healed him. And in his healing, in doing that, he not only blessed Epaphroditus, but he blessed Paul as well. And that's what happens, you know, when we're together, when we're united, when God blesses one of us, he blesses all of us, amen? When we're united, when one of us is struggling, we're all struggling, amen? Because we're united, not just in Christ, but with each other. So Epaphroditus is probably somewhere about 700 miles away. Oh, that's nothing, he just email them. Maybe he can text them, okay? We're talking about a journey that could take months. And there's no way to give word to the Philippians other than for somebody to carry it. So the distance is is significant here, and the Philippians are worried about him. Now Paul says, verse 28, I am the more eager to send him... Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So maybe that the Philippians were beginning to wonder whether or not Epaphroditus was able to do what they sent him to do. They know he's sick. Did that interfere with the work? Not that that was the most important thing, but they're wondering, you know, we we sent him out there. Was he able to do this? Certainly concerned about their friend and their brother. But they're concerned about Paul and his mission as well. And Paul wants to assure them, he, this is literally Paul saying, why do you hear what he has to tell you? He's got some pretty exciting news. You're going to love this. And I'm going to feel a lot better knowing that he's at home with you and that you've received this news. So clearly Epaphroditus was loved by Paul, loved by his church. And Paul wants to make sure that they know that he's done a good job. Verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So he mentions again that Epaphroditus nearly died. But this time Paul puts it in the context of risking his life for the ministry the Philippians sent him to do. Literally, risking his life for the building of the kingdom of God. All of them couldn't come, so they sent Epaphroditus. And he not only did a good job, but he gave it everything, bringing himself close to death for the sake of the gospel. This is a good soldier. Why, why Paul calls him that? He's a warrior. He's a worker. He's one who's totally committed Totally dedicated to Paul, to his church family, and to building the kingdom. So we see these two workers, one who stays and one who goes. And here, here, here's something that's kind of cool Paul needed both, he needed both of these guys. And, and so there's a lesson for us here because the church needs both. Amen? Um, You know, several years ago, a book came out about uh, becoming missionaries. Uh, David Platt wrote. It's a great book. Uh, What was it called? Radical. Okay. And we read the book. A bunch of us read it together. And everybody who read it said, I'm going to be a missionary. Okay. Well, David had to write a book afterwards saying, okay, we can't all be missionaries (laughs) because somebody has to stay home and pray for and fund the missionaries. But the church needs both. They need people who will stay and people who will go. Uh, This is why at Warrenton Bible Fellowship, we commit at least 10% of everything that we bring in to supporting our missionaries. We support 16 missionaries. Some of them are right here in town. Some of them are in Virginia, and a lot of them are overseas. South America, Africa, Europe, Australia. Uh, So, we need people who stay and people who go. Paul's kind of demonstrating that right here. Some need to stay, some need to go. But let's take a closer look at these two individuals. Let's look at Timothy. Timothy's a faithful co-worker. He's a hard-working guy. He was young, but he's a teacher of the Word. And the Scriptures tell us he was young. Who, and, but, but think about this. This young boy who left his family, left his village, which meant everything back in that culture, That was a huge sacrifice. Left his inheritance, his heritage. He left everything he knew. Abandoned whatever hopes and dreams that he had there in his hometown with his family. To follow a man who was poor. And rejected. And sometimes despised by his own people. And was going through all that just because he was teaching the truth, and building the kingdom of God. And so in time, Timothy worked alongside Paul in building that kingdom as well. And so so there's, there's your first co-worker, willing to sacrifice everything, even at an early stage in life, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom. Then we have Epaphroditus. He's a good soldier. He's fully engaged, willing to sacrifice everything for the mission and it remains in a compassionate, loving relationship with his church family and with his fellow workers in the gospel. He longs to be back with the church family, but he's willing to die for the sake of the kingdom. Now, do you see how this ties into the passages before? Because some of the commentators look at this and go, well, Paul's gone on a discourse here, he's kind of diverted. But there's a tire. The, the, The passages before spoke of humility, service. Treating others as more significant than ourselves. And here we have Paul's two shining examples of those teachings. Two men who are willing to walk the walk. Two guys that are willing to do what has to be done for the sake of the gospel. One's a young boy with his whole life ahead of him. And the other is a seasoned servant, ready to die for the work of the kingdom. And both of them, both of them are bound together with a supernatural calling, bound with Paul, bound with the guys that are traveling with Paul, bound with the Philippian church. Again, think about the distance, 700 miles away, maybe a two-month journey, and they are inextricably bound together for the same purpose with the same goal to tell people about Jesus Christ. They're bound with every other person who calls on the name of Christ. They're not just building a foundation for the kingdom of God. They're showing us how. And it comes through sacrifice and obedience the same way Christ sacrificed and obeyed even unto death. Two men are building the kingdom, but it's not their own kingdom. They're not building it for themselves. And they knew every step of the way it was God's kingdom. There were those who were doing similar work. Some of those guys were focused on building their own kingdom, ministering the gospel for their own selfish reasons. And Paul comes along and says, everything we do, not just the ministry, mm -hmm, everything we do in life should be focused on the work of the gospel, should be focused on the kingdom of God. My dealer friend was building his own kingdom, doing it for his own glory. Had his name, giant letters on top of the dealership. And I looked at that and I went, I want that. I want my name on a bunch of buildings. People driving by, who is that guy? He must be Fantastic. You know, if you go down to Vienna today, his name's not on anything. His kingdom ended up the same way every earthly kingdom will end up. Shattered and shambles. It's taken me a while, but I realize that's not what I want. I don't want an earthly kingdom. I want to be part of the heavenly kingdom. So the question remains, Whose kingdom are you building? Have you even thought about it? Have you even thought about it? You know, we have the Spirit in us that brings that conviction when we're not focused on the things that we're supposed to be focused on. Oh, we can, we can resist it. Amen? I, I mean, I can get really good at resisting the Spirit. I can go, oh, that must not be God. God only speaks about the things that I want. <laughs> yeah. So we can resist the Holy Spirit Or we can listen to him. We can build a kingdom for eternity. For God's glory. And then get wrapped up. Wrapped up in him glorifying himself through, in and through us. Become the the vessels, the tool that God uses to build his kingdom here. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for these examples of, of how it should be to be part of your body. Lord, and we, we confess that we're, we don't always live up to this, but we, we know that they probably didn't either, because you are a God of grace and mercy. And when we speak of wrath, Father, we don't have to worry about that, because your Son has taken on all of your wrath for the sins that we've committed. We pray, Father, that we would carry that message to those that don't understand it, to those that haven't received it, that we would be the shining examples of kingdom builders that you call us to be and invite others to join us in that work. We pray you do this by the power and the presence of your Spirit. We thank you for the sacrifice that your Son made so that we could have these moments together. And Lord, we thank you for the hard work that's gone into the luncheon downstairs, the hands that have prepared it. We pray now, Father, that as we continue to fellowship, you'd bless us in unity, Father, bless the food, and bless those who have set it up. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Everybody is welcome downstairs to have lunch with us. Thank you for tuning in online today. We'll be back again next week. We'll be starting in Philippians chapter 3. I'll be right over here if you have any questions or comments.